0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Jean Ross.
1: Hello, friends. How about an amazing fact? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. These words are the famous words spoken by Neil Armstrong as he made the first human footprints on the moon. Fifty years ago, on July the 20th, 1969, an estimated 600 million people around the world watched live as the first human stepped onto another astronomical body, the moon. It's amazing to think that just 66 years earlier, in 1903, the Wright brothers flew their self-powered aeroplane for the first time opening up the age of human flight. To commemorate the remarkable achievements in flight, Neil Armstrong took with him to the moon a piece of wood from the Wright brothers 1903 airplane's left propeller and a piece of fabric from the upper left wing. Little could the Wright brothers have imagined that part of their airplane would one day go to the moon and back. Although the Apollo 11 mission turned out to be a tremendous success, At the time of the launch, the mission was very risky. So risky, in fact, that President Richard Nixon had a speech already prepared in case of a catastrophe. After all, nobody had ever landed on the moon before, and he was not quite sure if it is even possible to take off from the lunar surface in order to return back to the Earth. But thankfully, this speech was never needed. Did you know, friends, that the Bible predicts that in the not-too-distant future... Mankind will travel much further than the moon. Stay tuned for more as Amazing Facts brings you this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening
0: to Bible Answers Live. Accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions.
1: Hello friends, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Yes, and as the name says, this is a live, uh, interactive, international Bible study. And if you have a Bible-related question, we'd love to hear from you this evening pastor doug is out from time to time throughout the program i'll give you another number it's 800-835-6747 that is our resource phone line and uh, we'll be mentioning different uh, free offers that we have that'll help you in your study of god's word Uh, just call that number 800-835-6747 ask for the free offer we'll be happy to send it to anyone in north america if you're outside of north america just go to the Amazing Facts website. We have a free library and you'll be able to read the various resources there as well. We'd like to greet our friends who are joining us on Facebook this evening. I know that we have viewers across North America, even some in other countries that tune in week after week to participate in Bible Answers Live. Well, before we get to our uh, calls and uh, the Bible, let's begin with the word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity once again to open up your word and study. The most important book, and that is the Bible, reveals to us a Savior, reveals to us a way to have everlasting life. And so we ask your blessing upon our time. Be with those who are listening, wherever they might be. And thank you, Father, for your promise to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I open the program this evening by talking a little bit about that remarkable event that occurred uh, 50 years ago. Back in 1969, uh, July the 20th, and when you think about the incredible uh, achievement of being able to go to the moon and everything that was involved, especially back in 1969, before all of the digital um, abilities that we have today, it was remarkable. But you know, the Bible talks about a traveling in space, not to the moon, uh, not even to Mars, but it really talks about a journey to a heavenly city. In John chapter 14, verse 1, we read the words of Jesus. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So here we find Jesus telling his disciples and also telling us that he is preparing a place for those that love him. And he promised that he would come back again and take us to that heavenly home, to that city made of gold that we read about in the Bible. And Of course, that is the goal of every Christian, to be faithful. To have Jesus come, sometimes referred to as the great hope of the Christian, the great Advent hope, the second coming of Jesus. If you'd like to learn more about what the Bible has to say about the second coming, we have a free offer we'd like to send you. It is one of our amazing fact study guides, and it's entitled The Ultimate Deliverance. The Ultimate Deliverance. It's all about the second coming. It gives you a number of Bible verses, important information. Uh, just call. We'll send it to you for free. The number is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide called The Ultimate Deliverance. Again, that number is 800-835-6747. And our phone line here to the studio this evening is 800-463-7297. We're going to go to our first caller tonight. We have William listening in Davis, California. William, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, you're on the air. Awesome. And your question this evening? Uh, my question is, what are the tests of a true prophet? Okay, good question. Well, the Bible does speak about prophecy as being one of the gifts that God has given His church. And we see throughout Scripture many instances where God spoke to people through a prophet. And uh, the Bible also warns us, though, Christ Himself warned us, that in the last days there would be false prophets. And so we need to know, is this a genuine manifestation of the gift of prophecy or is this a counterfeit manifestation? Is this the devil trying to deceive? Well, the Bible does give us certain identifying marks to determine whether somebody who says they have the gift of prophecy is indeed a prophet. Number one, what they say must be in harmony with the Word of God, to the law and to the testament. If they speak not according to this, the Bible says there is no light in them. So that's probably the most important test right away is do they speak in harmony with the Scriptures? The second test that needs to be applied is what about their life? Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Uh, What kind of a life does this person live? Uh, What do others say about the person? Are they genuinely committed to Christ? Are they a genuine Christian? Uh, One of the things that I think you'll be able to distinguish right away is if somebody is asking for money in order for them to prophesy you've got to question that immediately because you read in the old testament and even in the new uh, people didn't get paid to give a message from god so that's another test also you need to ask does their predictions come true if somebody predicts something to happen and it doesn't happen well then that's not a true prophet of god So those are three of the tests that we have, and uh, there are more. And uh, we actually have a study guide. William, you might have seen it. I'm not sure. If you haven't, we'd like to encourage you to take a look at it. It's called Does God Inspire Astrologists and Psychics? It's a long title, but basically it's talking about the gift of prophecy. How do we know a genuine prophet from a counterfeit prophet? And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And again just ask for that study guide talking about distinguishing true and false prophets. Uh, William, did that help? Yes sir, thank you. All right. thanks for your call. Our next caller that we have is Leah listening in Ontario, Canada. Leah, welcome to the program.
2: Hi Pastor, thank you so much. I have a question about uh, keeping the Sabbath holy especially for children. Okay. At this time uh, our church is planning to build a playground for our children because Sabbath is a delightful day, you know. So we want the children to enjoy mm-hmm. by playing in the playground too. But some of the members think this is a Sabbath day. We're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. Why we, why we allow our children to play in the playground? So basically my question is, what is your view about this thing?
1: Okay, so the question is, what about kids playing in a p- playground on the Sabbath? I, I think if you look at the biblical principles that we find in the Bible, referring to the Sabbath, the Sabbath needs to be a day that is set aside from... Typical, normal, weekly activity. Now, the Sabbath is not to be a day of gloom and sadness. And uh, for the children, it's probably important to make it special for them. But in keeping with the spirit of the Sabbath, if their regular routine is playing on the playground all through the week, and that's their main focus, it would probably be better to plan something a little different, something special. The Sabbath is a great opportunity to go out into nature, to... Uh, see God's work to uh, spend time talking about our creator um you know, again i I wouldn't condemn someone or a kid that's sitting on a swing on the sabbath don't don't misunderstand me, but if the focus of the children are are just running around climbing and jumping and and typical kids' activities on the Sabbath, maybe we could find something a little better for them to do on the Sabbath so. I guess that would be my guidance there. I know growing up, I grew up in a Christian home where uh, we kept the Sabbath. And there was always something special planned on a uh, Sabbath afternoon. Um, Something that we look forward to as children. Typically, it would be out in nature. It would involve hiking. It would be exploring new places that we haven't seen. Um, So that's kind of the thing that we want to plan for. Uh, We need to think about what can we do to make the Sabbath special for our children.
2: Thank you so much, Pastor.
1: All right, thank you for your call, Leah. Appreciate it. Next caller that we have is Charles listening in Florida. Hi, Charles. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Pastor Ross. How are you? Doing well. My Bible question is this: about the seven last plagues that the Bible mentions, are there signs that I should look for to know when that there's that they're starting to take place? I mean, what would I what would I need to look for?
1: Okay, Um, the seven last plagues we read about in the book of Revelation, and they take place just prior to the coming of Christ. The seven last plagues don't begin to fall until everybody has had an opportunity to make a decision for Christ or against Him. In Revelation chapter 7, you start there in verse 1, it talks about an angel coming from heaven with a seal in his hand, and he says to the four angels to whom it was given to uh, release the winds of strife. Uh, do not let go until we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. So there is a work of sealing, a settling into the truth, into uh, commitment to Christ. Probation then closes just as the door closed on Noah's Ark. And then you have the seven last plagues that fall. The purpose of the seven last plagues is to har- ripen the harvest. Uh, the second coming of Jesus is often described as a harvest of the earth and it reveals the true nature of the wicked. It also reveals uh, the true nature of the righteous and their full dependence upon God. So uh, the plagues, as described in the book of Revelation, they don't take place until after probation closes, as you read in Revelation chapter 7.
3: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you very
1: much. All right. Thanks for your call. Good question. The next caller that we have is Charles and actually Chris. Chris is listening in uh, Florida as well. Hi Chris welcome to the program oh thank you pastor uh good evening hi, and your question this evening yes uh, my question is about uh re- rewards in heaven yes,
4: it's about uh, i believe it's about uh, those that are saved and I have two scriptures uh, here matthew sixteen twenty seven and second corinthians five ten
1: all right well, let me read uh matthew sixteen twenty seven for those who are listening they might be driving. Uh, these are the words of Jesus. He said, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. And then the other verse that I think you're referring to there, you said is um, 2 Corinthians 5.10? 5, 10. 5.10, yes. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in this body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And I can actually add uh, one more verse there. Revelation 22, it speaks of Jesus coming. He says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his works. So yes, there are rewards that are given when Jesus comes. Uh, Not only do you have the saved and the lost, but you also have those who have lived a life of devotion to Christ who maybe have gone through great hardship for their faith. Uh, Maybe they've even given their life for Christ as a testimony of their faith, and each is rewarded according to uh, his works, what he has done. And so, yes, there are rewards given in heaven.
4: Let me ask this. So we all will experience that um, presence of God in different way uh, while in heaven.
1: Well, you know, I think when we according to our deeds. Well, when we get to first of all, to you know, as far as I'm concerned, to get to heaven is probably the greatest reward that anyone can have, uh, just to be there, uh, to to be with God. I mean, what more could anyone want? But God also recognizes the sacrifice that some of His um, faithful followers have have done for His name, for the cause, for the preaching of the gospel. You know, you have um, missionaries that have traveled left home left family gone to some distant land to share the gospel with others and nobody here might take note of that or nobody might recognize their service but it is noted in heaven and when uh, jesus comes he rewards each according to his works Now, having said that i don't think anyone's gonna be in heaven and feel as though they've been shortchanged Um i think anyone everyone that gets to heaven is gonna just be delighted to be there. No one's going to feel as though, oh man, you you gave him that and you didn't give that to me. No, that's not the case. I think uh, the Bible describes that when we get to heaven, we will feel our total dependence upon Christ and we will lay our crowns at his feet and worship him and worship God. But God is a God of love. He's a God of fairness. And yes, he does reward. Not only are the righteous rewarded according to their works, but the wicked are also judged and they receive their punishment also according to their works.
4: Correct, correct. Thank you very
5: much. Thank you, Pastor.
1: All right. Thanks for your call, Chris. Appreciate it. For over
5: 50 years, Amazing Facts has shared the wonderful news of salvation and provided millions of Bible resources to people all over the world. We've built churches in India, proclaimed God's Word in China, and have sent free Bible studies around the globe. Today's program and free resources were made possible by our ministry partners, caring individuals like you. If you've been blessed by Amazing Facts, would you please consider partnering with us to reach others with the Bible truth? Your financial support today will help keep programs like this on the air so the blessings you've received can be shared with others. To find out more about becoming a ministry partner, please visit our website at amazingfacts.org.
1: For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. Our next caller that we have, I think we've got uh, Raymond Lissing in Bakersfield. Raymond, welcome to the program.
6: Hello, thank you, thank you.
1: Thanks for your call and your question this evening.
6: It's about forgiveness and and, uh, and how we can uh, quench the Holy Spirit. Okay. So a person is uh, um, asking for help from Christ to get out of a trouble, and it, and it appears that it's not happening. And then, and then the thought comes across. Well, well, maybe, maybe Satan would help. What a dumb thought! But, but so the person has this thought, and then, and then now even the, um, is willing to accept the help if Satan would help, but but Satan doesn't help either. Now, now is that something, you know, th- that a person would consider in, in his mind and in his, in his heart? I reckon, um, is that something that the. Um, uh, would would quench the Holy Spirit? Is that something that would not be forgiven? You know, we we always hear about you know like...
1: the unpardonable sin. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, yes. The verse that I think you're referring to is where Jesus said, "Every sin shall be forgiven, men, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit." So people wonder, what is that? Does that involve some type of statement a person might make, or sort of the scenario that you painted? Um, that would would that be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Choosing the devil. To understand what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, uh, we need to understand what the word blasphemy means. Um, If you look in the Bible, what blasphemy means, it's defined two ways. Number one, claiming to be able to forgive sins. And number two, putting yourself in the place of God. Uh, The uh, religious leaders wanted to stone Jesus. They accused him of blasphemy because Jesus forgave people of their sins. Of course, he could. He was God. And Jesus said he was the Son of God. And they said, nope, that's blasphemy. When we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, in essence, what that means is we put ourselves in the place of the Holy Spirit, meaning that we get to decide what is sin and what's not sin, or what is acceptable or what's not acceptable. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to guide us, we begin to make excuses for sin. And eventually, as we harden our hearts against the the Holy Spirit, there reaches a point where we don't hear the Holy Spirit anymore. Uh, that's the unpardonable sin, or that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's not one particular sin that a person does. It's something that takes time. It's the hardening of the heart against the Holy Spirit. The very fact that somebody is wondering whether or not they committed the unpardonable sin is evidence in itself that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to them. People who have committed the unpardonable sin, typically they don't care. They have no interest in spiritual things. They don't care whether or not they committed the unpardonable sin. So the fact that one is wondering, that's probably evidence that the Holy Spirit is still working.
4: I appreciate that. Thank you very
1: much. All right. And uh, you know, Raymond, uh, don't get discouraged. We, we all struggle and the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and yet he gets up. So as long as you keep trusting in Jesus, he's uh, able to help us through every need and just claim him as your savior. All right, God bless you, Raymond. We do have a book, by the way, that you might find interesting. It says, what is, it's called, What is the Unpardonable Sin? And we'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. The number to call is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. And again, ask for the book on the Unpardonable Sin. Our next caller that we have is Ralph, and he's listening in Atlanta. Ralph, welcome to the program. Good
4: evening, Pastor Ralph.
1: Yes, hi.
4: Pastor Ralph, my question to you is, Joseph, When Joseph passed away and his descendants uh, passed away at the time and they were taken into slavery, did they do anything to anger God to allow them to go into slavery?
1: Well, uh, initially when they went down into Egypt, um, it was to preserve their life because there's terrible famine that was taking place in the land. But there was a second reason why God allowed Joseph to go down into Egypt. Uh, You read a little earlier in the story of uh, Jacob's sons. We're actually doing this in our Tuesday Bible study that we have with the church. We're studying through the book of Genesis. And it's interesting to note that a number of the sons of Jacob were beginning to adopt some of the practices uh, of the pagan nations that surrounded them. Um, the way that the pagans would consider what marriage is and uh, some of their customs. And in order for God to preserve the descendants of Jacob, in order for him to work through them, it was probably necessary for them to be separated from those nations that surrounded them in Canaan. When they went down to Egypt, you remember the story, they were somewhat isolated because the Egyptians didn't really like the Hebrews. They they didn't like shepherds. And um, the Hebrews were shepherds. They, they had cattle and, and sheep. And, and so they were set off... By themselves, somewhat isolated from the rest of the Egyptians. And then that continued for a while during Joseph and his sons. But as time went on, they began to adopt once again and began to identify more and more with the Egyptians, some of their customs, their practices. And they eventually began setting aside the principles of what they knew to be right. And that kind of opened up the way into slavery for them. And that's why when Moses came to deliver them, he had to remind them of the things that God had commanded them through their ancestors and of course God brought them up to Mount Sinai and he had to give his law because they, to a large degree, had set it aside.
4: Well, is there any specific scripture that says that God uh, punished them for, for those uh, transgressions?
1: Well, I think slavery would be a terrible punishment that um, they would have. Uh, It's sort of twofold. Uh, God allowed slavery for for the descendants of of Jacob in one way to preserve them as much as possible from the evil influences. Um, And it was also for them to realize their need of God and their dependence upon God. So it, it was a learning experience that God was bringing the Israelites through in order to prepare them for their re-entry into Canaan and uh, doing the work that God wanted them to do.
4: Thank you, Pastor Ralph. I appreciate you.
1: All right. Thanks for your call, Ralph. We have Jan that is listening from Kentwood, Michigan. Jan, welcome to the program.
2: Hi. How are you doing, Pastor?
1: Doing well. Thank you.
2: Um, I have a question. Um, I have um, people that sometimes they ask me about the well, the foods that we eat, about clean and unclean. Okay. And I quote them from the, the book of Le- Leviticus. Yes. But then they come, and they come back and throw at me the, the first book of Timothy in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So what do, you, what do you got to say about that?
1: All right, let me read it. It's uh, right here. We find it in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. Talking about food, it says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So some people think, well, it doesn't matter what you eat, as long as you pray over it, somehow whatever you eat is not going to harm you. Well, the Bible also tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we want to take care of our bodies. We also know that certain things are harmful. We don't want to eat it. But I think what a lot of people leave out is verse 5. Verse 5 is the key. It says, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So are there certain foods that are sanctified by the Word of God that we read about in the Bible? Yes. Are there certain foods that are not sanctified to eat or certain things? They're not even foods. Certain things that God does not want us to eat. Yes. So the key to understanding verse 4, what, what is it that needs to be received with thanks, thankfulness? It's those things that have been sanctified by the Word of God. The word sanctify means to have set apart or set aside. And then you go back in the Old Testament and right at the time of the sacrificial, when the sacrificial service was implemented, you had clean and unclean animals. And then after the flood, God allowed the eating of the clean animals, but not the unclean animals. So verse 5, I think, is the answer.
2: So bring that, bring verse 5 back to Leviticus.
1: Right. Well, it's a simple question. What what foods were sanctified by the Word?
2: Were sanctified. Yes. Okay. The
1: word sanctified means set apart. Set apart.
2: Set apart. See, you, you cleared things up for me. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Thanks so much. You're
1: welcome. Thank you. That's a good question that you have. You know, we do have a study guide, friends. If you're wondering about what the Bible has to say about food and uh, what's good to eat and what's not good to eat, our study guide goes into this in a lot more detail. It's called God's Free Health Plan. What are the secrets for living a healthy, stronger, longer life? Well, the Bible has something to say about that. It's called God's Free Health Plan. It's one of our amazing facts study guides, and it's for free. All you have to do is call our resource phone line. That number is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the study guide called God's Free Health Plan. And while you're on the phone asking for this free offer, you might also want to ask the person about the Amazing Facts Correspondence Bible School. It's free. And what it is, it actually goes through our famous Amazing Facts study guide lessons. It really deals with a lot of important Bible truths, including a lot of prophetic truths, and it's free. All you need to say is, uh, I'm interested in learning more about the study guide course, Uh, and uh, we'll sign you up for free. We'll send you the lesson in the mail. Take a look at it. Fill in the answer sheet, send it back to us, and we will send you out the next lesson. Well, friends, it's not the end of the program. We're just taking a short break, and in a few moments, we'll be back with more Bible questions. So stay around. We'll be right back. Stay
0: tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
6: If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index, words of Christ in red, chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature, and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275.
5: The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person, or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church, and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand, because Jesus said, eternal life comes from knowing God.
0: to receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program call 800-835-6747 once again that's 800-835-6747 now let's rejoin our
1: hosts for more Bible Answers Live hello friends welcome back this is Bible Answers Live and if you have a Bible related question now's the opportunity to give us a call And we'll do our best to answer the question. We have the Word of God in front of me right here. And uh, we'll look up different verses. And we have a great number of resources that we'll be talking about throughout the program that will help you in your study of the Word. If you have a Bible question, the phone line again is 800-463-7297. That's 800-God-Says-463-7297. The resource phone line is 800-835-6747. We're going to go to our first caller in the second half of our program now. We have Alfredo listening from Canada. Alfredo, welcome to the program. Hello, Alfredo, are you there? Alfredo in Canada. All right, we're going to have to come back to him. We've got somebody listening in Sacramento, California. Um, Sacramento, California, are you there? Allie, I guess it's Allie, are you there? Yeah. Hi, Allie, are you on the program?
4: Um, This is Allie, I'm from Macon, Georgia.
1: Oh from Georgia okay we've got the wrong we've got the wrong number typed in here
4: <laughs> Yeah um well hello I am uh, may I just make one quick um comment before I get to my question Sure Okay uh that is about the blasphemy of the holy spirit right before uh Jesus said that he was accused of casting out devils by Beelzebub. and uh the greek word in the strongs for blasphemy is uh word 988 and it means slaughter to when he's doing something by the power and the good works of the Holy Spirit and they they falsely accuse it as uh, something that is done by Beelzebub, that's why he said that. That's what they were doing, blessing the Holy Spirit by calling the good works of the Holy Spirit um, the works of the devil.
1: Yeah, and that would be. That would, that would be a serious thing to do that. Now, um, the question you had, Ellie?
4: Yes, sir. My question, I'm sorry. My question is... Um, Jesus, it, I know it was written that um, all of the works that Jesus did in the Bible, if it was written, it couldn't be contained in the books. but I was thinking it would have uh, been quite a significant thing to at least have been recorded once if he had ever baptized anyone himself, and it's not in there, and I was wondering why that might be.
1: Okay, so um, Jesus, as far as we know, did not Baptize. Of course, John the Baptist, he, he did baptisms, and Christ's disciples baptized people. And then in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you hear a lot about going forth, preaching the gospel, and baptizing people. Um, probably a practical reason why Jesus did not baptize people is there would have been such a group of people that would have wanted to be baptized by Jesus. Many of them might not have made that decision out of genuine conversion, Rather, it was to somehow say, well, Jesus baptized me. Um, Maybe that gave people or would give people the impression that they're better than somebody else. It might be more bragging rights than genuine conversion. And Jesus, knowing, the Bible says, he knew what was in man. Jesus, knowing that, um, we have no record of him uh, baptizing.
4: That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Thank you so much. God bless you.
1: All right, good question. Thanks for calling, Ellie. Our next caller that we have, uh, we're going to try Canada one more time. We have Alfredo listening in Canada. Alfredo, are you there? Going once, going twice. Okay, we're going to go to, let's see, we have Ashley in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hi, Ashley, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, thank you. Um, my question is kind of a follow-up. It's in First Timothy 4, 1 through 5, but it's not so much specifically about um, the food, my question is more related to, is this a specific um, circumstance, you know, that, that's talked about? Or is it more um, like for the Latter-day Church? Or, you know, what's what are they referring to specifically?
1: Yes, good, good, good question. If you look at the first few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm just going to read that so that uh, those who are listening that don't have a Bible could uh, follow along with us. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience she- uh, seared with a hot iron. Then it says, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgivingness by those who believe and know the truth. Then it goes on in verse 4 that we spoke about every creature of God is good. So some of the things that's highlighted, it says in the last days or in the latter times, people depart from the truth. So there is a falling away that um, Paul is talking about when he's writing to Timothy that would occur in the church. There would be believers that would fall away from the truth They would give heed to deceiving spirits or the doctrines of demons. They're not biblical truths. They're not biblical doctrines. And then it talks about forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from certain foods. It's referring to a time in the Christian church, in particular during the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, where the belief arose that if you want to be holy or if you want to work for God full-time in a capacity as a preacher or or um in the church you needed to uh refrain from marrying you you couldn't marry and of course you have the priesthood that developed during the dark ages in the medieval church and the catholic church which still carries over even today and that's not in the bible you don't find that command anywhere in scripture where if you want to serve god or if you want to be more devout you don't marry so those are some of the things that God was revealing to Paul that he was speaking about even before they occurred. It's also talking about abstaining from certain foods. There were a number of traditions that came in the Christian church that on certain days you were not allowed to eat certain types of food and you were to eat other foods on different days. And these are some of the things that we saw that happened during the Dark Ages and even we still have some of that even today in Christianity.
2: Okay. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for your ministry.
1: All right, thanks for calling. Next caller that we have is David, and he's listening in Chicago, Illinois. Hi, David. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Doing well.
4: Yeah, my question is, uh, as a Christian, I'm, too, um, I'm involved both in the church and in the world. Mm-hmm. So what kind of spirit is driving me to do this? Because I love doing the work of God, and at the same time I don't give up
1: sinful nature. Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, what you're experiencing is something that every Christian, if he needs to be honest or she needs to be honest, we recognize that there is a battle um, raging in the heart or in the mind. Uh, On the one hand, the devil is constantly pulling at us, tempting us. We have the carnal nature. But on the other hand, we have the Holy Spirit that is convicting us. And we have a conscience that we know uh, what needs to be done and what's right And, um, you know, every day there's that that tug of war. Who are we going to serve? Who are we going to choose? Uh, And I think that's why it's so important. And Jesus says this. uh, He said, uh, unless you abide in me and I in you, the branch cannot bear fruit. Or another way Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. So maintaining a living connection with Christ through prayer, through the study of his word, through turning our thoughts towards him throughout the day, Uh, engaging with Jesus, talking to him as we even would to a friend, asking him for strength and help, uh, making that a priority, Uh, that's the only way that we're going to be able to overcome the devil and and be victorious when tempted. So it's an ongoing experience. It's something we want to do every day, and that's uh, growing and and living the Christian life. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for calling, David. Very important question. How do we live practically the Christian life? You know, we do have a study guide. Actually, it's a book that we'll be happy to send to anyone wanting to learn more about this. It's called Life in the Spirit. It talks about living that day-by-day life, and we'll be happy to send it to you if you call and ask. The number is 800-835-6747. We have uh, Linda listening in Georgia. Linda, welcome to the program. Hi, How are you? Doing well. And your question this evening...
4: My question this evening is, how do you know if you have grieved the Holy Spirit away?
1: All right. Well, I think one of the reasons that you know a person has not grieved the Holy Spirit away is the fact that they're wondering. Typically, somebody that has grieved away the Holy Spirit, they've gotten to the point where they don't care anymore. They're not interested in spiritual things. They're not interested in God. They uh, in essence their conscience as Paul mentioned in the verse I'll be reading first Timothy it says their conscience is uh, severed or uh, put out so to speak uh, they don't listen they're not interested in religious things if a person has the desire and is wondering that means the Holy Spirit is still speaking to them now having said that there might be people that you look at and say oh man their life is so far away from what God would have it to be and surely they've committed the unpardonable sin and yet Uh, we know of many experiences where people are converted and their lives are completely changed. So it is not for us to know or at least to try and choose who might have or who might not have committed the unpardonable sin. The Bible says man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. Only God knows. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Linda. We do have that book that I think uh, you'll find interesting. It's called Understanding the Unpardonable Sin, and uh, we'll be sending that to anyone who calls and asks. Just ask for the book on The Unpardonable Sun. The number is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. Ask for the book on The Unpardonable Sin. Next caller that we have is Lou uh, driving through Virginia. Lou, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, Pastor Ross. Thank you so much for taking my call. Please let, uh, let Pastor Doug know that we miss him tonight.
1: Yes, uh, he'll probably be back next week.
2: But you're doing a great job. <laughs> All
1: right.
2: My question is, well, let me make a statement first. My wife and I, we have been married this coming December, 39 years. And I believe I heard that the Bible teaches that once we get to heaven, our marriage is going to be uh, dissolved, uh, abolished. Is that true?
1: Well, the Bible doesn't say that marriage will be abolished, but what the Bible does say, Jesus actually says it, that um, we shall be as the angels. We won't be marrying and giving in marriage. So there won't be wedding ceremonies taking place in heaven. Uh, we won't be procreating in heaven. You know, the relationships that we have formed here on this earth, whether it is a a husband, wife, if it is a parent and a child, if it is a best friend, those relationships don't come to an end when we go to heaven, especially, you know, obviously if they're in heaven as well. I think those relationships will continue to grow. Uh, the greatest relationship of all will be our relationship with Christ and God. You know, I think relationships will be even be enhanced because they won't be sin to kind of get in the way. Matter of fact, that's the hope of the Christian. And you lay a loved one um, in the grave, someone you love, spouse, family member, they die. The great hope for the Christian is that we get to see them again. Uh, we get to fellowship with them. We get to share eternity with them you know we don't want to give people the idea that suddenly when you get to heaven you get given divorce papers when you walk through the gate no i think the relationships we bond or form here on earth are going to continue in heaven but there won't be marriage there won't be procreation in heaven
6: now the, the bible
2: says that uh, i have not seen or hear heard nor have entered into the hearts of men and things that god has prepared for them that love him absolutely so maybe that tells us that the relationship will be even better than what we can imagine.
1: Right. We can't even imagine. God's God's got something special for everyone. Okay. Well, thanks for your call, Lou. Hopefully that helps a little bit. We've got James listening in New York. James, welcome to the program.
2: Uh, thank you for welcoming me.
1: You're welcome, James. I think you got your radio on in the background. I hear an echo.
2: Okay. I, I, I'm shutting the radio. Okay. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yes, that's better. Yes, that's better. Oh, I still hear a little bit of an echo. But what's your question?
2: Um, some denominations uh, claim that their uh, their personnel, such as bishops, have apostolic succession with the powers that Christ's original apostles had to perform miracles, etc.
4: Is that a valid assumption?
1: James, I'm going to just put you on mute. You'll be able to hear me, but uh, that way we don't get the the echo. So the question is, do the apostles or is there a modern counterfeit or not counterfeit, but uh, a modern example, I might say, of people that are apostles that are able to do miracles? Well, there are certain individuals that God has given gifts to. One of the gifts, uh, spiritual gifts, is that of performing miracles or healing. Often God will work through um, modern medicine to bring healing Uh, He does sometimes perform miraculous miracles. I I don't think uh, I get a little nervous if somebody walks up and refers to himself as an apostle. The title apostle really applies to those who were the eyewitnesses of Christ, those who spent three and a half years with Jesus. Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, and Jesus met him, and uh, he had the gift of prophecy. But typically the apostles came to an end uh, at the time of John. There are still in the church gifts that God gives to different church members, but in particular the role of an apostle, uh, we don't see a lot of that, or we don't see that today. That really had to do with uh, the disciples, those first followers of Christ.
2: Presuming the title of bishop doesn't automatically give him miracle powers. There, There may be some that are overly blessed by God, but just being a bishop doesn't automatically bestow that on you. Is that Correct.
1: Correct. Yes, the, the term bishop is just simply otherwise translated as an elder or an overseer. So that would be a pastor or someone that's leading out in the church. Uh, there are regular church members that might not be in a leadership position that might have one of the gifts of the Spirit that God has given them, one of which might be the gift of healing. So just to bear a title doesn't necessarily mean that um, you have certain uh, gifts of healing. Hope that helps, James. An international pandemic killing thousands,
5: riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to
1: yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. Next caller that we have is Rhonda, listening in California. Rhonda, welcome to the program.
2: Hi. Thank you, Pastor Ross. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Uh, The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and this happened in six days. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. Um, The definition of heavens there, do you understand that to mean um, these heavens that are in our Milky Way galaxy, or all the other...
1: Everything else that we see. The, the word heaven in the Bible um, can be understood three ways. The one is the atmosphere. We talk about where the birds fly, they fly in the heaven. That means the atmosphere. The other uh, heaven would be where the stars are, um, the universe, <clears throat> you might say. And then the third heaven would be the dwelling place of God. And when the Bible speaks of heaven, for example, in Revelation 21, John says, and I saw there was a new heaven and a new earth. Well, he's referring there to the atmosphere, not necessarily to the universe as a whole or to the dwelling place of God. But were there other planets uh, before our world was in existence? Yes, I believe so. Um, There were other angels. uh, The rebellion that took place in heaven occurred before our earth was created. Uh, you have a story in Job about um, the sons of God appearing before God in heaven, and Satan was there as the representative of earth. Hebrews chapter 1 speaks about how Jesus made the worlds. This is Hebrews 1 verse 2, and it's the plural word for worlds. So are there other worlds out there? Yes, we believe so from the Bible.
2: Thank you. That's, um, that's very gratifying to hear. Thank you. And so is it Also, your understanding that those worlds were created before the six-day creation that included the earth?
1: You know, it appears, and I I don't have a Bible verse to back this up, but it seems to me that when our world was created, Adam and Eve were made, and then, of course, Satan deceived them, and sin came to this earth. It it appears that uh, the creation, God creating other worlds, kind of put on pause to deal with this emergency, the fall of mankind. The whole plan of redemption and how that's playing out on this earth, it seems as though not only the angels but even the other worlds might be watching or seeing how God deals with this emergency. So I—I not they were created before our world. I don't think there has been a creation since our world, but that doesn't mean that God's not going to create again in the future. But it just means right now the focus of heaven uh, is what's happening here on this earth in the plan of redemption.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Thanks so much. Appreciate your input.
1: Okay. Thanks for your call, Rhonda. Our next caller that we have is listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Charlene, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. You're on the air.
4: Um, my question is, I'm wondering where the book of Enoch comes from.
1: Okay. You have a mention of at least Enoch in the book of Jude. Jude is the book just before Revelation. It says, at least the phrase there, talking about Enoch, it's believed to be a quote from a manuscript or at least a letter that apparently was around during the time of the New Testament. The reason we don't have a book in the Bible called Enoch is because some of the things that were written, and there were a number of forgeries that occurred. Sometimes somebody would write a letter and then assign a name of someone famous. Uh, There was quite a bit of that in New Testament times. But if a letter could be proven that it was indeed written by one of the apostles uh, or by Paul, it was included in the New Testament. If the authorship of a letter was somewhat questionable, if any of the teachings or the doctrine that was written in that letter was out of harmony with the teachings of Jesus, it was not included in the New Testament. Who decided it kind of happened over a period of time. Yeah, the letter would be written. Uh, the way it worked in, in New Testament times, for example, Paul would write a letter to a church. The church would read the letter. There would be a scribe in the church that would carefully copy the letter. Then often that letter was sent to another Christian church. And the same thing happened there. Someone would read the letter, and it would be copied and then sent to somebody else. So, of course, all of the original letters are a long time gone, but we have lots of copies. And then around the end of the first century... Uh, John was the last of the apostles all the way up to around 90 A.D. That's when these letters began to be gathered and collected and organized, and eventually it became what we know today as the New Testament. So it took a number of years. It didn't just happen immediately. It was during the first 100 years um, after Christ.
4: What about the Kabbalah?
1: Well, there were other books as well that, um, in addition, Kabbalah was one, and then you also have the Apocryphal. That were written. Um, some Bibles even include the apocryphal books. Uh, they were Jewish writings, but again, if if it was not, if they didn't know for sure who the author was, and if it was not recognized as one of the apostles or one of the recognized leaders of the church, or if there was theological differences, it was not included in what they call the canon or the New Testament. Hmm. You know, we do have a book that you might find interesting. It's called The Ultimate Resource, and it's about the Bible. It tells you how the Bible came about, and it gives a lot more details in that. And I think you'll find it interesting, Charlene. If you just call, or anyone, if you just call our resource line, that's 800-835-6747. Ask for the book called The Ultimate Resource, and we'll be happy to send it out to anyone who calls and asks. Next caller that we have, we have Glenn listening in Washington. Glenn, welcome to the program.
3: Well, thank you. I have a question regarding the uh, book of Revelation in chapter 19, verses 17 through 21. Yes. Referring to the beast and his armies defeated, and I'm just curious as to the uh, timing of all of this. It sounds like perhaps this is uh, when uh, referring to the second coming of Christ. Yes. And I'm kind of a little bit confused about the... uh, The birds were filled with their flesh. Okay. verse 17 and verse 21, they start out, it starts out by saying, "Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. And then it it culminates in verse 21, "Uh, And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so wondering how the birds were able to still be alive during Christ's second coming.
1: Okay, a oh, good question. Let me, let me just give verse 16 of the same chapter, just so we know that we're talking about the second coming. It's talking about Christ. He's described as coming on a white horse. And verse 16 says, On his robe and on his thigh, a name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So we know we're talking about the second coming of Christ. Remember, Revelation is a symbolic book. Now, back in Old Testament times or in Bible times when armies would go to battle, it was a great battle or a great war, Uh, the defeated army, typically they wouldn't be buried unless it was in a city or a place where people were living. Often these battles would take place in a valley outside of the city or, you know, in the woods or something like that. And quite often the bodies of the defeated army would lie on the ground and the birds would be filled and the wild animals. So it's using a, an imagery or a description here in Revelation chapter 19. It's talking about the great day of the battle of Armageddon where the armies of God uh, are coming to destroy God's people and Jesus comes and the wicked are destroyed. So it's a symbolic reference there to complete and utter defeat of the enemies of God's people using Old Testament imagery of two armies going to war. Okay. So it's
3: it's symbolic in
1: nature then. It's not talking about literal birds. I mean, even even in the whole chapter, it talks about Jesus coming on a white horse and a sharp sword proceeding out of his mouth. Verse 21 says, you know, he killed those with the sword that came out of his mouth. Those, again, it's it's a description. Jesus doesn't come with a sharp sword, but it's a symbolic. The sword represents the word of God. The Bible speaks of the sword as the sharp two-edged sword the word of God so once again revelation is symbolic but really this whole passage just refers to the defeat of the enemies of God when Jesus comes the second time so that is the big focus that we have of this passage again if you'd like to learn more about the second coming of Christ and what the Bible says about that our free offer is called the ultimate resource we mentioned that early in the program To receive it, just call our resource line. It's 800-835-6747. Until next week, friends, may God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay,
6: California. Does your heart burn for a better purpose? Do you yearn to do more with your faith? Do you desire to be a powerful witness, a blaze for Jesus Christ? Where do you start? Make your first step at AFCO, the amazing fact center of evangelism.
3: Here at AFCO, I've learned so many things, and my spiritual growth has just
6: skyrocketed. AFCO has distilled 50 years of amazing facts evangelistic expertise into a dynamic, professional, and educational experience that transforms the nervous Christian into a prepared and bold witness. AFCO is
5: really about learning while doing. It's a one of a kind experience for those who are serious about entering gospel ministry and those who simply want to make an impact in their local
6: churches and communities. Go to afco.org today and explore this life-changing program. AFCO, equipping soul winners, setting the world ablaze for God. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible
0: Study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at aftv.org. At aftv.org, You can enjoy video and audio presentations, as well as printed material, all free of charge. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit AFBookstore.com.
6: Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000.
0: If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, Visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.